The following audio brought to you by TSF Entertainment Podcast may contain graphic descriptions of violence and or audio clips of violence or sexual explicit events. Listener's discretion is advised. What's good, TSF Entertainment Podcast? This is your boy, Retro CG. And tonight, I'm joined by my co-host, Miss Really BTV. Hey, what's up? And it's True Crime Friday. So tonight, we're going to do a true crime, true crime case. Um, oh, is that the name we came up? True Crime Friday? I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> CP, what are we talking about tonight? So tonight we have a case of Faith Hedgepath. I'm saying her name correctly, right? Yeah, Faith Hedgepath. Yeah. Um, so Faith Hedgepath, um, she's a 19-year-old student at UNC Chapel Hill. And um, we are going to be discussing her case, which is still unsolved at this point, at this time. Um, from what I understand, um, she was attending Chapel Hill on a scholarship. Um, she had aspirations on being her um, the first member of her family to graduate college, and she mm-hmm. wanted to be a pediatrician. Yeah, but she was having some problems, um, which a lot of students do, transitioning from high school to college. Um, and so her grades weren't that great first semester. So she took the second semester off, and she was going to take some summer classes, and she was even thinking about changing her um, major to education. Um Something else that's in, that um, about her heritage is that she was um, Native American or part of an indigenous tribe in North Carolina. And so um, that was another thing she wanted to go back to her community um, and work there because resources were just lacking. So that was another part of, you know, where she was motivated right. to to uh, to do well. Um, so do you want to. Any any more background information you want to add, or you want to just kind of jump into? Well, just a few more things. Um, okay. During her transition, um, she was temporarily living with her friend, twenty-year-old um, Karina Rosario, and mm-hmm. they were living in a one-bedroom off-campus apartment until she was able to save up enough money to get her own place. So she was uh, doing part-time waitressing at their local Red Robin restaurant in their um, in their city. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I was looking at my notes, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Karina had previously lived in this apartment with her ex-boyfriend, um, Eric Takoy Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, during this time where they were living together, they had a very tumultuous relationship, um, borderline abusive from what, um, um, reports that I've read in regards to their relationship, um, Faith would often see Karina with bruises and um, they would have lots of confrontations. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't borderline abusive. It was abusive. Um, So, uh, Eric is going to be a very important uh, player in this story as we progress through the case. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. We'll definitely hear more about um, Eric. And so, to add to that, while Eric and Karina were together, um, Faith played a part in that because there was one particular incident that was very volatile where he kicked in the door and the police were called. Um, she ended up getting the locks changed, but Faith actually was the one that um, encouraged her 
to get a restraining order and to finally end it. And so there was some tension between Eric and Faith because Eric basically felt like Faith was the reason why Karina broke up with him permanently. And we'll go on to learn that two months from that is when Faith is found dead. Right. And what's also interesting, um, again, which we'll come in, we'll talk about a little bit more later, is that Eric, um, when he moved out of Karina's apartment, he got an apartment within the same complex. With and, a family member. Yeah. So he was still living, you know, in um, immediate um, proximity to both of them at that time. So back in July is when all this went down with the um, assault arena where he threw her to the ground and threatened to kill her and Karina if yeah. she didn't get back together with him. So around July 2012. Um, so let's let's go ahead and um, jump to the night of her murder, uh, which was um, in September. So I think um, it starts off with them on the 6th of September 2012. They went to a, uh, it was Rush Week um, at the college and mm-hmm. they went to a sorority event and um, I think they got back home um, that night. Right. The sorority event was at 545. I wrote down, I wrote down the times, <laughs> but the uh, sorority event was at 545 and then they went to the library at eight o'clock to study. Um, between 8.30 and 9, she sent her father a text letting him know, Faith did, letting him know about the, you know, sorority event. It was a Native American sorority, and so she was excited um, at the, you know, the possibility of joining the sorority. Again, she was very proud of her um, heritage, so that was something that she was excited about. They were, they decided they were going to go out that night, and so about midnight is when they got back to the apartment. Um, or when they decided to leave the apartment. Because then they work on the paper till like 11? Right. They got back to, well, according to the timeline I have, they got back to the apartment at midnight. And then at 12.30, they decided, well, not decided, but at 12.30, they headed out to the club. I guess they, you know, when they got done working on their paper, they were like, okay, let's go out tonight, you know. Um, And they went to, because Karina was only, I'm sorry, Faith was only 19. And so the club they went to was um, a popular club for the kids on campus who weren't yet 21. So I think it was called Thrill was the name of the club. Yes, the Thrill. Yeah, the Thrill. So they got to the club around 1240. And one of the, the videos I watched actually had footage of them walking into the club. You could see them. It was a, it was like from it was an aerial view. So the cl- I guess the camera is like in the ceiling. So you could see them actually walking in the club. Um, at 12.40, nobody really knows what happened while they were at the club. You know, nobody knows, but they know that Faith was definitely um, having a good time because she danced with some people. She interacted with a lot of people while she was there. Um, and everybody described Faith, Faith as the, you know, life of the party type person. Like, she, you know, a lot of people knew her. She had a lot of friends, you know, got along with everybody. So that's that much we know that she did interact with a lot of people at the club that night. But Around two, around two o'clock, Karina said that she wasn't feeling well, and so they headed out to go home because she said she was sick. So, um, in um, all the case study that I've um, done, I've I've read where they said that uh, Karina felt like she was sick at the stomach. 
mm-hmm. and she had had too much to drink and she was ready to go home. Right. So in route on their way home, I believe the girls may have stopped by um, this fast food chain called Timeout. Which I've never really heard of that restaurant before. Listen, I lived in North Carolina and I and I never heard of Time Out. Never so heard of the Time Out. <laughs> I never did. I, when they were talking about how popular it was, I was like, "It is okay." But go ahead. <laughs> but they make it home about three a.m. So uh, you would think this would be where the story ends. Well, it's not. Um, it actually um, gets really weird. It gets very bizarre. It's a very baffling case already. And um, some of the events that happened that night just makes it even more baffling and bizarre. Um, so I think there are some phone calls and some texts that go out around anywhere from between 3 a.m. to 3.35 a.m. Okay. Right. So according to my timeline, I have at 3.40, this is where, okay, so this is where it gets a little weird. At 3.40, say is on Facebook and she's sending messages to her ex-boyfriend uh, Brandon Jones I think was his last name Edwards Edwards, Brandon I'm, sorry. Edwards. I'm sorry Brandon Edwards but at the same time that Faith is sending him these and the text messages were really weird they you know they were like come hey, B, over can you come over please Rosie Rosario, needs you really yeah. bad yeah, yeah so it was really weird but at the same time that these text messages or these these well, let's mess- go back to that for a minute because okay. from what I understand, this is Faith's ex boyfriend, right? Faith's ex boyfriend. But the message reads, "Hey B, can you come over here, please? Rosario needs you more than you know. Please let her know you care." So were they dating the same guy? So that goes into my theory. I'm gonna get to my theory. Okay, okay, I'm, okay. But but yes, the to answer your question, that's my opinion. Because that kind of goes to my theory of what I think happened. Okay. So, so but a half hour later. So, but while at the same time, um, Corinna is also calling, well, her phone is also calling Brandon. But Brandon responds back to Faith's message with a reply that says, who is this? And so uh, at that point, I guess Corinna didn't get contact Neither one of it sounds like neither one of them made contact with Brandon, or at least Brandon was kind of unresponsive to their request because apparently Faith was trying to get him to come over. Karina was trying to make contact with him. At some point, thirty minutes later, he decides to write back and says, "Who is this?" So that didn't go any further. Yeah, so, four sixteen. It says that Brandon responded, but I okay. You said he said, "Who is this?" Okay. And so Karina then decides to call up another gentleman, um, Jordan McCray. And sounds like she was casually dating him as well. And right. she, at that time, she asked him to come pick her up. And she left the apartment at 4.25 a.m., leaving the front door unlocked while Faith was asleep in bed. This is where I began to have, well, yeah, this is where I start having a lot of issues with this story. Given the situation uh, with her and Eric, the restraining order, the violence, him kicking the doors down, him even living in the apartment complex, you would think that she would be a little bit more conscientious about security and not leave her front door open at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> well, what not we only doing? that, but even, I mean, you can even take all of that out of the equation. You're talking about it's 4 o'clock in the morning, your friend slash roommate is sleep inside of the apartment she doesn't even know you're leaving. Why? Like, take all of that out of the equation. Why would you leave the door unlocked? Because if she's temporarily staying with you, 
and I don't, you know, you might have heard some of this um, in, in your research, but common sense would say to me that she has a key. And even if she doesn't have a key, if your intention was to come back first thing in the morning, which is what she sort of did, then it doesn't, it doesn't, like, go ahead and lock the door. You're locking her in, not locking her out. Right. It just didn't make sense to leave the door unlocked at all. Even if Eric didn't live close by, why would you do that? So. But I think that was to cover up that there was no forced entry into the apartment, honestly. I agree with that. That was part of uh, my thoughts and theories. So uh, in this time frame between uh, Karina leaving the apartment, she's called for a ride. She's left the apartment. She's left the uh, apartment. Um, unlock. Someone has let themselves into the apartment and subsequently raped and murdered Faith. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's the next morning. It's the next morning, and um, I, I, I'm not really too sure about the time that she got back home. I, I got it. <laughs> it was like right before eleven o'clock. Right. Because the so... one call was at eleven. So she called her friend um, Marisol. Okay. She called Marisol that morning to get a ride back to the apartment because she said she tried to call the apartment for Faith. That's right. Her and Marisol both tried to call um, Faith. Right. And and they they figured, right. They said nobody did. Faith didn't answer the phone. So Marisol came and picked Karina up and took her back to the apartment. Now, just as a side note, this has nothing to do with the case. If that man pick you up, that man can take you home. But anyway, that's another conversation. But um, they go back to the apartment, and they got to the apartment at 11 a.m., give or take, you know, approximately 11 a.m., and the 911 call was made at 11.01. And they noticed that Faith's car was in yeah, they noticed her, um, the her parking lot. And they mm-hmm. both proceed to go in to uh, the apartment and where they discovered uh, Faith has been murdered. So what I would like to do at this point is uh, let's let's just listen to the nine one one call together, and tell me what your thoughts are. Eleven oh one a.m. forty four second September seven two thousand twelve. Zara nine one one. Where is your emergency? I um I just want to my friend. Okay, what's your address, ma'am? I live at Hawkeye Texas View. Um, give me, give me the address. I just, I just moved here. I'm about to get it. Oh my God! It's um five six three nine Old Capitol Hill Road in Durham. Okay, repeat it to me. Repeat it to me to make sure I've got it correct. Okay. Five, six, three, nine, old Capitol Hill Road. It's a okay, what's the phone number you're calling from? Two zero one three two one eight zero seven five. Okay, you say your friend is unconscious? He's unconscious. I just walked in the apartment and there's like there's blood Okay, listen to Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Somebody's already sending me ambulance. Okay, I need to get some information from you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help. I'm gonna tell you how to help her. Okay. 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 How, how old is your? How old is she? She's nineteen. 
I'm sorry. Listen to me. Is is she breathing? I don't know. You need to check and see. Is she breathing? Kate, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, listen to me. There's blood everywhere. There's what? There's blood everywhere. Okay. I don't know what happened. Okay, is she on her back or is she on her... Laying on her stomach. She's on her back, but like she, I think she fell off the bed because she's like off the bed. Things fled all over the pillows, like in the comforter. I just don't know what happened. Okay. All right, listen to me, all right? It's so much coming. Yes, I've got somebody coming. I've got somebody coming. I need for you. To help her, I need for you to go up to her. We need to see if she's breathing or not. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Listen to me. Go up. The paramedics are on their way. I want you to stay on the line. I'm going to tell you what to do next. All right. Are you right by her now? Yes. Okay. Listen carefully. Listen. She's not moving. Okay. And will you touch her arm? Tell me, does she, how does she feel? Okay, ma'am, we need to find out if we can help her or not. You've got to, you know, do as I'm asking so we can help her. All right? Okay. If you can, lay her flat on her back. Remove any pillows. Lay her flat on her back? Flat on her back. Remove any pillows. Okay. Okay. Kneel next to her. Look in her mouth for food or vomit. Okay. Kneel next to her. Look in her mouth for food or vomit. Tell me something. Listen to me. Listen to me. What is your name? I'm sorry. I'm really It's okay, honey. It's okay, honey. Listen to me. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Listen to me. When you touch her, how does she feel? Does she feel warm? No, she feels cold. She feels cold? Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Don't touch anything else, okay? Don't touch oh anything God. else. Okay. They're on their way. I've got police on the way to you, and I've got a got net on the way. Okay? Okay. What room is she in? She's in my bedroom. Okay. I want you to go back into the living room, okay? Coming as fast as they can. 
You just stay on the phone with me, all right? Okay. Tell me again what your name is. Okay, so do you want to start with this 911 call or shall I? Go ahead, because go ahead. I have several issues with the 911 call. And I have to take into consideration that one, she's um, under a considerable amount of duress at the moment. Uh, she just found her roommate, her friend, murdered in her bedroom. So I can only imagine how unnerving. That is. However, there's things that uh, weren't mentioned in the 911 call that concerns me more, like how she totally forgets to omit the fact that someone else was there. Marisol was there. It mm-hmm. said that Marisol was in the room with Faith during the call. She doesn't mention anyone else being there at the apartment. So the 911 operator is under the impression that she's there alone and discovered the body. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I do not feel that she followed any of the directives from the 911 operator. I do not feel like she laid Faith's body on the on ground, face down, well, excuse me, uh, on her back like she asked her to. Well, we know she didn't because the police found her still sitting up. Hanging off the bed. Mm-hmm. So she didn't follow any of the directives of the nine one one operator. It, to me, it feels as though she didn't want to touch her at all. Um, now you can say, I mean, uh, anyone who can 
visualize this scene as it's been described, we'll know that she's probably not alive. But the fact that she was unwilling to help her friend, the fact that she was unwilling to touch her, uh, you could argue the point that, you know, she's upset, she's young, she doesn't, I mean, she's, she's confused. But even still, you don't hear any other crying in the background. You don't hear the other friend that's there with her that's discovered. You would think that both of them would have been in an emotional state that you could hear signs of someone else being in the background. Um, so that concerns me. I do feel like some of the call per se was staged a little bit. I do. I do get that impression. Um, because if she was involved in the murder, she knew already that she was dead and did not need to do any of the things that the 911 operator was advising her to do because she already knew that she was dead. Uh, on the innocent side of it, if she wasn't involved, you would think that she would have been eager to follow the directions of the 911 um, operator because then that would have gave her a reason to touch her that would have gave her a reason for her to have her DNA or fingerprints or hair or whatever on face body because she would have been following the directive. So it would have been easy for her to create an alibi with handling her body following the directions of the 911 operator. So it's just, it's very curious to me that uh, she did not want to follow any of the directions of the 911 operator. She didn't know the address to where she lived. Um, that's, okay, that. so that's, yeah, okay, go ahead. She didn't know the address to where yeah. she, she lived. She had to go get it. Um, she did give the 911 operator her name. However, the 911 operator didn't catch it the first time because she kept asking her what her name was, what her name was, and she avoided questions. All the questions that the 911 operator was asking her, her responses were unrelated to the questions that the 911 operator was asking her. So she was kind of uh, dancing around the questions that she was asking her and eventually she would answer the 911 operator, but uh, she wasn't very eager to do so. So what are your thoughts on the 911 call? So a couple of things. First off, I want to say that I, I try not to get too into what Oh, she didn't, you know, oh, she didn't seem like she wanted to touch the body like that. Because I know for me, I can't say if I walked into a scene like that, what my immediate reaction would be. But there were some, but there were some things that were concerning to me as well. One, the fact that she didn't know her address. And it would be one thing if she was just like frazzled and was like, oh, my address. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh shit. Oh, you know, but she made up a story and said, I just moved around here and we know that's not true because she was living there before Faith moved in. She was living exactly. there with her boyfriend. So exactly. we know you've been there at least a couple of months and that's long enough to know your damn address. I mean, I'm sorry. You're, you're an adult. You're not a child. Um, you know, you're in college. I, I still remember my off, you know, my off camp. I remember my college address and my off campus address. Like you're an adult. One of the theories was that it wasn't actually um, that it was actually Marisol on the phone, which would account for the hesitancy with knowing the address and even the hesitancy with the name. Because you're right, every time, yeah. right, every time the 911 operator asked her her name, she did deflect. It's kind of like you know, they, it's kind of like 
she was like um like like stalling a little bit because she was saying, "Oh my gosh, you know what's your name? Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I There's can't blood believe everywhere. It yeah, looks like someone else has been here. That's obvious to the fact, right? But you're so not it was answering like the questions, right. right? It's like, are you trying to stall? Are you not sure what you're supposed to say? I do also find it concerning that at no point in time was it ever mentioned that somebody else was it. Because again, if it's me. Again, I don't know how I would how I would do touching a dead body, so I ain't gonna judge that. But I feel like my conversation calling the nine one one operator would have been like me and my friend just, just got found. to my apartment, and right. my you know, like I feel like at some point that was a long call. At some point, you would have heard a voice in the background. I could even see if she was like, "I can't touch the body. Let me ask my friend to do it." You know, she never even and said, it didn't well, I sound can't do as it. if she was moving about. It didn't sound right. like she and was you just didn't about. hear anybody. Like yeah. if it's me, if it's me and you, and you're on the phone with the op with nine one one, at some point I'm saying something. You know, I'm upset. I'm crying. And I'm responding I mean, to you at some point. In the right, background. we're both friends. I'm crying too, or I'm upset, or I'm like, well, what? You know, how far are the police out, or are they on their way, or I mean, at something. So that was a little. That part was disconcerting to me. Something else that was a little weird that I thought was very weird to me as well was she wanted the. She wanted that 911 operator to know that she felt like there had been intruders in the house because she was like, there's stuff in here that shouldn't be here. And it's yep. weird. And she said that more than once as well. And again, we know that we haven't gotten to that part, but we know there was a Bacardi bottle, which was actually the murder weapon. And it was covered in blood. Now, I'm, I'm going to this is going to be a lot of conjecture right here, but I'm going to speak for myself. I know you're a little bit more OCD than I am, so this might not be uh, uh, applicable to you. But if I'm walking into a room that is a crime scene and my good friend is laying on the floor murdered, that's probably not the first thing I'm going to notice is a liquor bottle that I normally have in the kitchen is in the bedroom. Because honestly, I probably wouldn't notice it. And even if I did notice it, my mom would probably be like, oh, well, maybe we left it in here. Maybe she got a drink. You know, she might have, Faith might have got up in the middle of the night and wanted something else to drink. Maybe it was here from the night before. I I don't know how big of a deal that would be to me to to point out, oh, there's a bottle here that shouldn't be in here. And then it ended up being the murder weapon. I found out to, I, that that hit me kind of strange as well. So, yeah. Especially with everything else that you could imagine what that bedroom probably would have looked like. But you yeah. zero in. They said it was blood that, splatter and I mean it just was, on the it closet, was a nasty everywhere. Scene. Yeah, it was a nasty scene. And again, I just don't know if that's what would have pointed like like why did that stick out to you? I don't know if that's something that would have stuck out to me. Well, um they do say that the uh Bacardi bottle that was uh, found in the room wasn't broken. It was um, the murder weapon. It was a Bacardi peach bottle. Um, there, the police also um, find a a note that was written on one of the uh, fast food bags. It's also important to note that the the note that they found didn't have any blood on it. The rest right. of the bedroom and um, the the contents in the bedroom had blood splatter. The comforter, everywhere. the closet, uh, there was blood everywhere, as uh, Karina told us over and over on the 911 call, that was blood everywhere, right. except for on this note. And what um, did the note say again? 
The note says, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. And it's a very ominous, cryptic note. Could be very unrelated to the case. It, it, it could be a form of communication between the girls where, you know, they would leave little notes uh, to themselves about whatever. It, I, part of me doesn't seem to think that this note is related to the murder. I, call me crazy. But the fact that it was, or either it was written after the fact. I think it is directly related to the murder. And it, it, it goes to my theory. I'll tell you what my theory is later, but th that note is very important to my theory. But go ahead. Uh, the police, oh, well, the coroner does rule uh, face death as uh, a murder, obviously. Uh, blunt force trauma to her head. So uh -huh. she was bludgeoned to death with this bottle. The bottle did not break. Uh, there's DNA. interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to know that someone was bludgeoned to death with the bottle and it didn't break. But the Bacardi bottle, bottles yeah. are kind of thick. They 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 are kind of thick and they they do yeah, carry a little bit of weight. Golly, you would just think um, at some point that would have broken. I don't know. It would have yeah. shattered at the very least. You would think um, at some point, but they're gone. They do recover DNA um, in the form uh -huh. of a rape kit. So she 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 was raped. And they were able to generate a DNA profile from the semen that was recovered from the scene. Um, fast forward um, to some of the later details that's discovered after the investigation is they've interviewed several uh, potential persons of interest, suspects, people that were related to Faith as far as her uh, male acquaintances, uh, people that they knew. Uh, they tested several uh, of those individuals, up to 100 people that they tested, including Eric Takoy Jones, and mm -hmm. none of them um, matched the DNA profile that was found. They were able to come up with um, uh, some evidence to the killer's identity through the DNA profile. Uh, they do believe that he's of a Hispanic or Latino uh, descent. Um, they were even able to generate a, uh, a composite based off of the DNA profile. So it's very interesting to... Uh, know that they had tested that many people and none of them were a match. So the biggest question is who killed her? Who do you think um, killed her? So a couple of other things I want to just throw out there before we kind of get into the theories and stuff. So one thing um, in everything that I heard, the police played this really close to the vest. Now I'm going to just speak a little bit about in my opinion, I think that had more to do with politics than it had to do with anything else. Um, the police were not very forthcoming in giving out information, even to the family. Um, the, the local newspaper had to take them to court in order to release some of um, the documents. The judge sealed all of them. Right, the, the uh... judge right, sealed it. And so it wasn't until two years after the murder that a lot of this, like they didn't even know anything about the note until two years later. And there's also a voicemail, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I want to just speak to that. As somebody who lived in that part of North Carolina for a while, that is a, that I think the police keeping so much information private and playing it so close to the vest, I think is more political than anything else. Chapel Hill is a college town. You have Chapel Hill, and then right next to Chapel Hill, you have Duke that is literally, you know, right there. So you have, you know, between Duke and Chapel Hill, you got over 100, you know, give or take, about 100,000 students and faculty 
um, in that area. And the last thing you want to do is to create any kind of panic. You don't want to, you know, you don't want people to start thinking that Chapel Hill isn't a safe place to send your kids or a safe place to live because it's very upper echelon, even in the area. You know what I mean? And so I think as I was listening, I don't think it was anything nefarious as far as incompetence or anything like that. I just I don't. Yeah, it was very political and they were just trying to protect the reputation of Chapel Hill and the reputation of that area. But this isn't the only murder that has happened at Chapel Hill because didn't no. the student body president wasn't this was killed? Yeah, yes, was killed and murdered. But, but that they, was but that was solved relatively quickly, and it was a carjacking. So that was, I mean, it was unfortunate, but that was one of those things that was like, well, they found the person who did it, and it was a carjacking. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, murders happen, but I just don't. Again, I just think the way it was handled. I don't think it was like, you know, in, like last week, the case from last week, I think we were dealing with some straight up incompetence. I, I don't think that's what this was. I just think it was, we're trying to protect the reputation. We don't really want this on the headline news every night. We want parents, because remember, this was also fall. This was the beginning of the semester. I don't want parents pulling their kids out of school. I don't want to create a panic. We don't want people to start turning this into like, you know, a serial killer situation. So... I just, I, that's, that's my opinion. Again, just from living in that area for a while, I just know how they are, you know, about protecting that reputation. So, but I just wanted to say that. Um, I think it is a, a little combination of a lot of different things. Uh, what you're saying could very well be uh, part of the reason why a lot of the, uh, the evidence um, in the case was sealed. We've seen this in other murders, just like with the Mary Morris murders. Uh, A lot of that uh, documentation and um, police evidence had been sealed for many, many years before it was released to the public. And I think a lot of that is, is kind of a, uh, is a double-sided sword because uh, they think that it's to protect the integrity of the evidence and, you know, not alert the potential killer or suspects to what evidence that they may have left behind. So if there's any other evidence that can correspond with what they find at the crime scene can't be destroyed or gotten rid of. Or So I think a lot of it is to protect the integrity of the case. However, I think um, after the news media over time, um, they did petition the courts to at least get access to redacted uh, Mm -hmm. uh, case files so that it could have something to uh, to help support um, finding out who killed this this young lady. And um, there was a piece of evidence that had been held on to for at least three years. I think what we're nine years into it. Um, this case, yeah. Uh, I think three years later, we learn of this voicemail, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of controversy regarding this voicemail. And um, yeah. it, to me, it's a little confirmation bias for me because in our mind, we want this voicemail to be the key to the mm-hmm. case. We want this voicemail to have captured the murder, but in all reality, is this what we're listening to? Uh, so I've kind of went back and forth with this whole voicemail. It's very inaudible. You really can't make out uh, what is being said in the voicemail. It has went right. through several uh, forensic experts and audio experts who have put together what they believe is face murder in this voicemail. 
So I'm going to play the voicemail and just disclaimer, don't listen for anything because what you think you're going to hear in this voicemail and I guess having read the transcript, I'm now looking for these things to be said. You're looking for it to be said. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to play the voicemail. You tell me what do you think. So this voicemail is supposed to have been a pocket dial, butt dial um, that came from Faith's phone to another one of Faith's friends who, when she initially heard the voicemail, she just thought it was just a pocket dial, butt dial, and she deleted it. Um, when she learned of her murder, she then went to her subscriber and had them to retrieve the voicemail and mm-hmm. um, turned it over to the authorities. Yeah. I will say this. 
listening to the voicemail, uh, it does definitely sound like there is some type of confrontation. And when I say confrontation, I don't necessarily mean a physical one, whether it's an argument. Um, there, It does seem to involve more than one party. Uh, I tend to agree with the experts, though. It does not sound like it's at a club. Now, it could very well have occurred on, well, no, because they said the voicemail is timestamped at 120. And we know that they were still at the club at 120 based on the footage from the camera. One thing right. that I was curious about is, has anyone ever checked the timestamps on the cameras at the club to see if they were possibly incorrect? Well, one of the things um, in one of the videos that I watched was the one with the um, with the, the expert who kind of broke everything down. Um, they said that something that was common with um, the technology of that time, you know, we're talking about the early 2000s with those cell phones is that sometimes the timestamps were off with voicemail. That's something that has been corrected now, but back then, so they were saying that the timestamp can't necessarily... Listen, I know that for a fact. I had Bell South Mobility back in the day. Not Bell South Mobility. Yes, I did. (laughs) I had Alltel too. Listen, I remember Bell South when I lived in North Carolina. I do remember having problems with that, uh, especially depending on what type of phone service you had at the time. Back then, prepaid phones were very popular. And so So a lot of times the time stamping was was off on that, because I do remember that with my own personal cell phone back in 2012. So So the one thing I heard was that they were saying that they didn't want to put too much weight on the time stamp, because like you said, I agree we do hear music, or at least I think we hear music, but I don't think it was a club because a club would have been a lot louder. Yes, a lot louder. And you would like have I, heard you 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 would have heard the bass. You have heard yeah. you would have heard other people. You would have yeah. heard other people in, in the vicinity of them. So yeah, I mean, that conversation yeah. seemed to be pointed towards the people that were having it. You know, you didn't hear a lot of other background stuff. It definitely yeah. sounds like four people were involved in the conversation. It definitely yeah. sounds like there was another female present, and it definitely sounds like there was at least one other male present. Yeah. Because now, go ahead, I'm sorry. Because I, I, I do hear parts of the conversation, some of the things that are being said in the conversation, but again, mm-hmm. I'm going back to confirmation bias. Having yeah. read the I, transcript now, am I hearing what I've read. Right. And I feel like what I hear is, um, I feel like I hear, help me. Uh, I feel yeah. like I hear, get off of me. Other than that, and the, and, I, and I know I hear music. Other than that, like you said, I would kind of be getting into what I know, or what I think, the, I mean, what the transcript has said that they think it is. But based on what I feel like I heard, I heard I thought I heard get off of me and I thought I heard help and I definitely heard screaming. And I and thought music. I heard I will fuck her. Ooh. I thought I heard I, I will fuck her now. Is Ooh. what I thought I heard. Okay. Um, having viewed the autopsy report, there is uh contusions or damage or uh bruising on her hands. In the alleged uh transcript that the experts have put together there's a lot of reference to her hands being on fire and um taking it off of her or something like that yeah yes oh can i say something i forgot about i forgot about this going back to the 911 call a neighbor 
did speak to um one of one of the, the podcasts I listened to, and a neighbor was saying that both of the ladies, the young ladies, uh, Marisol and Karina, both of them, um, their behavior seemed to be a little bit off to her. She said Marisol was crying, but Karina was not crying and was just on her phone texting. And I was wondering, I don't know if you found in your research or not, I'm wondering if the police ever pulled her phone records. Because my question is, who are you? And don't get me wrong, again, she could very well have been texting her family saying, hey, this happened, I need help. She could have been trying to get in contact with, you know, Faith. Somebody come so and see not, about her. Yeah. yeah, so I'm not saying that that means there was anything off. I just wonder if they ever pulled her phone records to see who it was that she did reach out to. So, But that, that was one of the things that they did bring up was that... Um, the neighbor well, said that she just like she said they weren't hysterical or anything like that. Which again, everybody deals with stuff differently. Like I wouldn't have been hysterical. I don't think I would have been. You know, well, the neighbor. But, it's also important to know that the neighbor also reported that they heard a loud thud the night before. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, they did. Which this was a neighbor that was directly under uh, Karina's apartment. But I feel like that's all you heard because I feel like an attack that violent, that brutal, you should have heard way more than a loud thud. A thud. You should have right. heard screaming. You should have heard crying. Right. You should have heard a struggle. I mean, especially at that earlier hour in the morning, at right. that at that time in the night. Right. Because even if they were playing quiet. music, right. And that's what I was gonna say. Even if they were playing music to try to cover all of that up, then I feel like that would she would have remembered that. Like they were playing their music really loud. Like I, yes. I think that she would have remembered that as well. So yeah, I, I can agree with you on that. That you would think that she would have heard more than just that that loud thud because those apartments are not that thick like the yes. walls are not that thick like you know like i know if she heard the bottle what, and what they're trying to allude is that they heard the the murder weapon being thrown to the floor or falling to the floor yeah, or whatever or it part, could but... just simply be that they may have heard when she fell off the bed you know that could have been it too yeah that when her body hit the floor yeah that could have been it yeah you know? but okay, I'm sorry. I just I remembered that part, and I wanted to just make sure we threw that in there. But um, so back to the not back to the the voicemail. Um, that I know that they let her father hear it, and I mean, far be it for me to discredit her father, but her father definitely said that's my daughter's voice. Like I know that that's my daughter screaming for help. Um, he felt like that's what he heard. As far as the rest of it, again, I don't have like any doubt said, that it was her voice because at the end of the day, it did come from her phone, which was right, right. in her possession, um, as far as we know, uh, was in her possession the entire time. So whether or not the phone call came from the apartment or at the club, we knew that it was in Faith's possession. So reasonably, yes, you're going to hear Faith's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what we don't, what we can't discern is what are we hearing? We, we cannot mm -hmm. make out what we're hearing. I mean, uh, and, and I don't want to discredit anyone who does this professionally and say, you know, these audio experts say this this is what we hear. So, you know, I have to take that with a, a level of profession. I mean, this is what they do for a living. Right. <laughs> and know? they were so, able to filter out some of the sounds. And, you know, one of the ones I listened to, one of the ones I watched, the guy that they had doing the expert. I mean, he's like you said, he, he's done this for a living and he's actually gotten people convicted based off of what it is that he does. So like yes. you said, I, far be it for me to say it's not what he says it is. I just, with my naked ear, without all of his technology, 
I can only go by what I hear. But do you have a copy of the transcript to just kind of read through what they what they thought it was? Because I remember some of what they said. I will hit. But a, I didn't know if you have it. I'll hit a few few points. I really don't want to spend too much time on the voicemail because, again, I think uh, a lot of what uh, we get from this transcript is what everyone thinks that they hear and I, mm. I, with my naked ear I can't hear it either so I don't want to necessarily confirm that that's exactly what's being said but okay. transcript goes on with a female that says you're bullshitting then there's a male voice that says what kind of person lies like this and uh, it's uh, said that Faith says I don't know what you're talking about and then the male voice says did you fuck your own an audible obsession. Faith says, I didn't do it. The male says, this is all fucking her good, her description. Female says, why? Male says, you, because it belongs to you. Fucking bullshit story, you personally. I'm going to kick your face, bitch. I figured out this bullshit. And I'll just I'll just stop at this because I mean I can go on and continue to read the transcript because we don't know who these voices are. We don't necessarily know this to be Faith's voice, other than the fact that the father did identify that he hears his daughter's voice. But the responses to the conversation, we may or may not know that this female is Faith. So right. I agree. I agree. We don't need to dig too deep, but I just that's yeah. a rabbit hole. <laughs> definitely a rabbit hole that's a rabbit definitely hole. a rabbit hole um, let's talk a little bit about Eric for a minute um, on the day that Faith was murdered Eric uh, made a very cryptic and bizarre post on Facebook that says forgive me for what I'm about to do it yep. says dear lord forgive me for all the sins and the sins I may commit today protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today and that's a very ominous post to put on Facebook the day that she's murdered. Mm -hmm. Eric also has a violent history and he had motive. He lived in the apartment, so obviously he knew his way around. He knew how to gain entry to the apartment. And mm -hmm. let's just take for let's just take into consideration that maybe uh Karina and Faith did share a key. To the apartment. I don't know why she wouldn't have went and gotten an extra key made for her, her roommate. But you know, Faith was temporarily staying there, and maybe she had not been there long. I don't think I've read anywhere where they've said how long that Faith had been living with her. At this point, I think it's a couple of weeks, maybe. I think maybe. Uh, at least that's the impression that I'm left with. There's been a couple of weeks. I think uh, this. Uh, in this time frame, Eric has moved out. Faith has kind of moved in type deal. So, you mm -hmm. know, he's probably upset the fact that, you know, he's been kicked out. Faith's there now. So maybe they did leave Cherokee. You know, and maybe it's uh, maybe it wasn't uncommon of her to leave the door unlocked, even when they lived together. Maybe when Eric and uh, Karina lived together, you know, maybe it was uh, not uncommon for her to leave the apartment unlocked. Nothing has never been said about that is this a characteristic of hers that she's done regularly but uh right. it, it just it, he has the most motive but 
he's cleared as a suspect because his DNA doesn't match and his DNA is not found at the scene of the crime, which I thought that would be kind of odd. But given the fact that he's lived there and he spent so much time there in that apartment, you would think that they would have found his DNA somewhere in that apartment. That's what, and I thought the same thing. I said, I said, now this man used to live there. They didn't find his DNA anywhere in the apartment. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying maybe they, they're really good, you know, cleaners. Maybe, you know, they scrub the apartment. Kids. But that's and, but that's what I was gonna say too. But I know too many college kids that were that I mean, you know, clean is one thing, but you to not have any DNA of somebody that used to live there, like that's professional level. You know what I mean? Like nothing in the kitchen, nothing in the bathroom, like I don't know, but Okay, and it's a one bedroom apartment, so when he lived there, that means him and Karina share a bed, right? Which, at, at best, you would think that his DNA would have been found in the bedroom. Um, which is just, where Faith was killed, so it's kind of like, yeah. Eh. So, we now have a face without a name, and that's the craziest part about it. Is and I get so frustrated when we have so much evidence, and there's a lot of things of evidentiary value for this case that remains unsolved. And I'm not going to say it's not because the lack of effort on the authorities, because the authorities have, uh, they've had a very exhausting investigation. I mean, hundreds of people that they've interviewed the, the, um, the DNA profile of the uh, potential killer, the composite, so they've invested a lot into trying to solve this case, but yet they bear no fruit. And why is that? How? How can we have so much evidence in this case and not even a viable suspect to compare it to? I don't know. It's, it's very, very interesting. Like you said, it's not from lack of effort. I mean, they they did test the DNA. They tested the DNA of pretty much everybody at the club that night. Um, yeah. Like like you said, over a hundred people. And I think um, everyone that was interactive with them on the campus. Yeah. Um, they said that, you know, they brought Karina in for multiple interviews. So there's clearly in my mind for them to keep bringing her in and bringing her in to question her. I feel like either they don't believe her story or they are getting more information and they need more information from her because I just feel like how many times can she tell you the same thing unless you're looking for her to lie, catch her in a lie, or looking for you got some information. Well, at this point, they're trying to break past her. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. So that, but that makes me feel like so you so then y'all don't believe her. Y'all then y'all think that she knows more than what she's saying. But her, you know what I mean. I mean, you know what I'm saying. So with that being said, let's let's go ahead and talk about some theories then. I'll guess all that you started off since you let me start off last week. So what are your theories? So, and I know, you know, I come up with these crazy theories. So work with me on this one. Wait till you hear mine. <laughs> so when you go back to that note, remember I told you that the note made sense based on my theory. So honestly, I feel like there was some sort of love triangle and either Karina and Karina or Marisol, one of the two, because I believe Marisol was a part of it as well, somewhere, somewhere she's in. I don't know if she found out on the back end or the front end. But I feel like she's involved. Um, I feel like there's some sort of love triangle. Either they thought Faith was messing with a particular person or they knew Faith was messing with a particular person. And I think it has something to do with Brandon. 
Um, we know that Brandon and Faith used to mess around with each other, but was Brandon messing around with one of the other ladies? Was there something? Because I go back to them trying, I feel like I feel like those messages that were coming from Faith's phone, I feel like Faith was already dead. I don't think those were coming from Faith. I think they were coming from Karina. And I feel like they were trying to set Brandon up. I think that's why she left the door unlocked. They were trying to get Brandon to come to that apartment. And I feel like that's why she left the door unlocked so that if Brandon showed up and he walked in, then he's caught with the body, or at least at the very and least on the scene DNA, of the crime. Right. At the very least, his DNA is in the apartment. She conveniently leaves out, right? She found somewhere to go at four o'clock in the morning. With a and stomach I mean, ache. you know, right. I mean, she's a college student, so you know, booty calls are what they are. I'm not judging her. I'm just, but I feel like that was more of I feel like that was more of a alibi situation than anything else. That note that was on the bag, I think, was left uh, basically uh I I know I know what you did. Or at least I think I know what you did. Now I don't know whether it's true or not, but I feel like there was some sort of love triangle in there. And I feel like they were trying to set Brandon up for it. Because Brandon has not been cooperative with the police either. And I find that to be interesting because he really has no reason not to talk to the police. Like he really doesn't have anything to do with it. They just want to try to find out more information about why, you know, like why do you think, you know, this happened or that happened? But he hasn't been cooperative either. So I find that to be interesting. But that's my theory. My theory is that there was some sort of love triangle. And I do think that the the girls set them up. And I think Eric was part of it. And I'm going to tell you who I think did it. You ready to hear who I think did it? Yep. Eric's ex-roommate. Eric but... had an ex-roommate who had a very violent past has been known to beat women up and hit women and they did not get his DNA. Okay. Wow. Very good theory. I'm in the unit. I'm in orbit of your theory. Okay. <laughs> a little bit. I'm in the orbit of your, your theory a little bit. For me, I go to her, her relationships. Uh, it has been gently alluded to that Faith has had several casual relationships with male partners. Mm-hmm. So it's reasonable to believe that the police has identified and possibly tracked down all those partners through her communication. I mean, because in the search warrant, they took laptops. They took two mm-hmm. Lenovo laptops, an IBM, their social media accounts, uh, their phone records. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm sure all those male partners that she has been intimately involved with has been cleared through DNA. Okay. So I'm going down a rabbit hole, a bit of a rabbit hole here. All right. What if they missed one? What if they missed one that they didn't know about? Mm. What if there was an individual that she had a sexual relationship with and hadn't been identified by law enforcement and this person could have came by the apartment that night and whether consensually or non-consensually had sex with her and ultimately end up murdering her 
maybe this person uh, sees the message come from Brandon's phone. Who's this? And he's there and like, who's this texting you at four o'clock in the morning type deal? And maybe the murder becomes uh, a, a crime of passion, heat of the moment type thing. Uh, and the murder weapon is a weapon of opportunity. You know, he grabs the Bacardi bottle and just strikes her with it, starts beating her. This would explain hmm. the DNA not matching anyone that they've investigated because they're not aware of this person. Or, I, but the only thing that kind of strikes a big question mark for me is, in that theory is how would she have communicated with this person? Because they would have found any type of communication that she would have had with this individual through social media or through her phone records or whatever. So it, it can't be someone that she's directly communicating with. It could be someone that was harboring a crush on her. Maybe someone that she met at the club at night that may have followed them home mm. and wanted song and maybe forced himself on her. Okay. Um. My next theory is Maybe she did have sex that night consensually with a casual partner. But that person didn't murder her. Okay. Maybe there, because obviously there's a lot that's happening this night. And okay, so they're out at the club. They've been hanging out. They've been flirting with guys. They've been drinking. They've texted two or three different guys since they've gotten home trying to invite him Brandon over then she ends up uh, Karina ends up texting another guy to come pick her up so I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of different paths that they're going down this night you know it, it just wasn't a night out at the club you know after they and the thing is if she's sick enough to want to leave the club early and go home uh, within an hour of you getting home, all of a sudden you feel bad, better now, and you're ready to go lay up I, with a dude. Because right. I think that was the setup. I don't think he's. I, don't I think agree with that. I don't think nothing was wrong with her either. I think that she was lured from that club back to the apartment for that murder to take place. Mm -hmm. uh, what I can't understand is who, but is it possible that Faith may have had sex earlier that day or earlier that night? And the DNA is not even the killer. So if that be the case, the DNA is actually causing confusion to the case because we're thinking that the murderer is actually the person who raped her. But maybe she had sex with someone else and this person that killed her didn't have sex with her at all. And my last theory does uh, kind of involve a love triangle, but I point to Eric. Okay. I think that Eric was harboring um, a grudge against Faith um, in regards to her uh, breaking up their relationship and urging her roommate to go get the restraint order. I think he was very vindictive and upset with her about doing that. And he was probably trying to get back with Karina. And Faith was probably in her ear saying, he's no good, don't fool with him. He's trouble, he's violent, he's this. Uh, going back to the roommate, I do believe that Eric's roommate, I, I've always said this from day one, that there was a third party that was involved that uh, was not uh, someone that was initially looked at by the authorities. I do mm -hmm. believe that Karina and Eric were there and witnessed the crime take place. Uh, uh, some kinky, freaky, 
we're going to murder her and we're going to live happily ever after together. But it's also important to note that Eric and Karina did get back together after her death. And Eric has been uh, somewhat cooperative with the authorities, but he's not been so uh, kind to the press and people reaching out to him in regards to the case. He's been very uh, standoffish in that regards. But either way, uh, I think her death has something to do with Karina, even if it doesn't involve Eric. And I'm sorry, Eric, because of your violent past and um, the nature of your relationship with Karina, you are the prime suspect. I mean, even in the fact that you've been cleared by DNA, you're still the most interesting person of interest in this case. So, I mean, you know, guilty until proven innocent. And so, um, I just, I feel like Karina's involved some ways some shape, form, or fashion. I do believe that the letter, the note that was on the fast food bag was written by her, probably with uh, her non-writing hand and brought back to the crime scene. I don't believe that that um, note was written the night of the murder. Uh, the bag is too clean. In a room full of blood, blood is pooled everywhere. There's no way in the world that someone's going to go wash their hands, write this note, go back into the bedroom and I mean, who's going to spend that much time at a crime scene? And I don't feel like a male killer would have wrote that letter. I don't feel like if, uh, if a male murdered her and bludgeoned her and raped her, I don't feel like he would have wrote that note. I mean, what purpose would it have served for him to do so? Uh, unless it was written by Eric or Eric's roommate on behalf of him and left there I just the only person I would see having a reason to write that would be Karina mm -hmm. and that's where I'm kind of stuck at yeah like I said I don't, I don't I'm not sure like as far as the love triangle part of it I'm not I don't have it all fleshed out but I definitely definitely feel like there's a love triangle there uh, whether it's real or perceived because again I you know it may or may not be real it could be perceived um I believe that Marisol knows more. I believe, well, I definitely believe Karina knows more than what she's saying. Um, and like I said, all of this is just my opinion. If anybody's listening, these are my opinions. <laughs> I'm not indicting anyone, but just based on the information as presented in the way I interpret it, that's just how I feel. But I do feel like um, I was looking at um, one of the, one of the uh stories that I was looking at was talking about the advances in technology and how with that DNA sample, you know, they have the technology now to be able to even try to find you through family. So yeah. I believe that this case is going to get solved. I don't think it's going to, because I just feel like the police, first of all, I feel like the police have more information than what they've shared. Um, and I think that I just, I think they're just, like you said, I think they're just one DNA test away from solving it. Um, because even if they get the DNA, let's just go along with your theory. Let's say they get the DNA and they say, oh, well, this is just somebody that she slept with earlier that day. Maybe that was somebody that was also sleeping with somebody else in her life. And maybe now we've, oh, well, that's where the love triangle comes from. Oh, that's where the note comes from. I just think it'll give them some breadcrumbs into where it is. So I, I think they're... I think the, I the think DNA the is definitely the key to solve the case. Even if the D, even if my scenario is uh, 
accurate that she did have sex with someone else that did commit the crime. I still right. think it's the key to leading us to an uh, answer that has been undiscovered. I mean, that's yeah. what DNA always does. I mean, it gives us yeah, those I answers. Just, and to... I think it's going to be one of those weird freak things where, because, you know, nowadays, a lot of times they collect DNA, you know, when for, from criminals and stuff like that. Um, I think it's going to be one of those freak things that somebody else may be in the system one day with that DNA. And, and they, there is a they, possible they theory. I mean, there is a possible theory. Someone could have simply observed Karina leaving the apartment that night and not locking the door. And it's a crime of opportunity again, where someone just mm. happens by and sees that the apartment is unlocked. I mean, and goes in and the rest is history. Uh, the reason why I lean more so towards that theory is if it is not the people that are important to the case, Karina, Eric, Marisol, Eric's roommate, Brandon, if it's not in that little circle of people, uh, the whole Bacardi bottle just doesn't make sense. I don't see anyone coming to someone's home to commit murder and not bring a murder weapon with them. And of all things to pick up is a Bacardi bottle. That's a very personal kill right there uh, to bludgeon someone to death and then have sex right, with them. Right, because if the Bacardi bottle was in the kitchen as as they picked they that said, up as they were entering You mean the to tell me that you go in a kitchen to get a weapon and you pick up a Bacardi bottle? You don't and pick up a knife? knife. Right. You don't pick up a skillet? Like That's what you pick up when you are looking for a weapon in a kitchen. You know, you're in a kitchen looking for a weapon. So I don't know. That's weird to me. That's weird to me because again, it's a college, it's it's a college apartment. <laughs> and I know what my first apartment looked like when I was in college. It, everything didn't have a place. Now right. my home, a, yeah. now everything has a place and it belongs in that place. But right. I can tell you right back in my early twenties, there were liquor bottles, beer bottles laying all around the place. Um and so uh, I don't see anyone coming in in the middle of the night and not knowing their way around the home um, because it seems like the bedroom was upstairs, not knowing their way around the home. It's possibly dark in the apartment and they turn on a light. The first thing they see is a Bacardi bottle and I'm going to pick it up and that's going to be a, a murder weapon. Here's another question. There were no fingerprints found on the bottle. There was no DNA found on the bottle other than hers. So... Uh, I just, right, the crime so, of opportunity to me, I feel like if someone was going to break into the apartment to commit uh, sexual assault and then subsequently murder, would have strangled her maybe, uh, would have brought a weapon with them. They would have uh, forcible entry into the apartment. I don't feel like, I feel like this apartment being unlocked is the key to whoever gained entry to the apartment at night and knew exactly where to find her and was inept, I guess, and not brought a weapon with them and just decided to pick up the bottle and use it to commit murder. Well, I guess that wraps up everything that we can talk about this case. Um, if anyone has any evidence or any uh uh, tips, information to share. Information to share. Anything about this case that can help solve it, please call your local uh, authorities. Um, you can also call the Chapel Hill Police. Uh, they're Crime Stoppers at 919-968-2834. Um, 
Let's see if we can get some justice for Faith. See, can we get this and case And there is off? still, um, I think they said a $50,000 reward that has never been claimed. So if you know something, I mean, I hate to say it like that, but money is a motivator. If if you know something, there is reward money if it leads to a conviction. So, Yeah, because I think at, at one point the reward money was 29000 So you're you saying it's fifty now? That's what I, I heard of one of because uh, okay. some of the boosters, some of the Chapel Hill boosters, Okay. Um, have okay. put money in. So, but um, even if I'm wrong, if it's twenty nine thousand, that's twenty nine thousand. But I thought I heard fifty thousand. So, well, um, these are our thoughts and theories. Um, you know, of course, we're not experts in any of this, and you know, no. it's just based on our opinions of what we've heard about the case. Um, of course, everyone has their right to justice, um, and have to be proven um, guilty in the court of law. So, yeah, hopefully one day we'll get some answers. All right. Well, this was fun. All right. Well, we'll see what we'll do next week. All right. All right. Peace. Until next week. Peace. You are now listening to TSF Entertainment Podcast.